Welcome to When I Was On My Mission, the podcast where missionaries tell true, unbelievable stories that they experienced firsthand. I'm your host, Brian Jensen. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating in your podcast app. It really helps us out. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the When I Was On My Mission podcast. I'm your host, Brian Jensen, and we are here with Ryan Kimball. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. Really excited to have you. I have heard through the grapevine that you have a pretty interesting story, and I can't wait to get into it. Before we kind of jump into the juicy details, though, where did you serve on your mission? Uh, so at the time I was there, it was the Argentina Resistencia mission. So it's it's way up in the north of Argentina, um, a lot more rural than when people think of Argentina. I think they always just think of Buenos Aires. Um, it's it's since split into two missions. So it's it's Argentina Resistencia and Argentina Posadas. I'm very good, and I'm assuming Spanish speaking. That's right. Was speaking Spanish was that a difficult experience to pick that up, or did it kind of come naturally? Well, I I spoke English, so I always kind of like to ask people what it was like learning a language while they were out there. Yeah, totally. I, I grew up in Southern California. You know, 50% of my high school was first language was Spanish, so I took Spanish classes in high school, and I was able to go out and practice it immediately. And anyone who's learning a language will tell you that practicing it is is the best way to really learn it. So I actually tested out of the language portion of the MTC, and I was only there for three weeks. So because they they took me in as knowing enough Spanish, so it wasn't too bad of a culture shock or anything like that. It was more exciting than anything to get up and running with Spanish every day. Also just had to spend three weeks, just like English missionaries. I remember the Spanish elders being there for nine weeks and the longer, longer guys being there for a longer haul. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So thinking back to when you got your call, were you excited to go on a mission first of all? And then also were you excited about the call that you received? Yeah, I'm, you know, don't let the last name fool you, Kimball. I think the last of my, on my, paternal line, the last one to go on a mission was Heber C. Kimball. And then my mom's uh, she got baptized when I was like 10 or 11. So I, while I grew up in the church, baptized when I was eight and all that, I never really had any really bearings around what it really meant to be a missionary. So yes, I was excited, but I, I think everyone has the experience when they get out there and they're like, what in the world did I get myself into? But I literally came from a baseline of, of no knowledge. I didn't know what a district leader was. I didn't know what a zone leader was. I, I hadn't heard mission stories because anyone that was in my peer group and in my ward growing up was on a mission when I left. Um, and anyone that was older, they come home, they give their homecoming talk, and then they go. So I was excited because it just seemed like the great unknown adventure. A big part of that was the fact that I was going to Argentina. No offense. I know you went to South Carolina, but if, if I had a stateside call, I think I would have definitely thought about it really differently. I was a little bummed, but I I uh, <laughs> quickly got over that once I finally got to North Carolina and loved my mission. But I, I understand the sentiment of wanting that adventure and going abroad. One more question there. What made you want to go? Like I, my experience was different because I have such this, this tradition of, you know, missionaries and cousins and parents and all that stuff that went. What did you have a good friend group that everybody just wanted to go and that was exciting? Did you just individually have that kind of inclination to go? Can you pinpoint what it was that gave you the motivation? So I was the only member in my high school. Um, I had a seminary class of, you know, probably 12 people and maybe 10, 12 people in my grade, but all of them went to the other two high schools in town. 
Um, so I was the only member in my high school and, and none of my friends were members. Um, and this was back when the mission age was still 19. And I remember I went to visit a friend at college. He was going to UC Boulder. And uh, I went and visited him just like, hey, you know, we're friends from high school. Come visit you in college. And I just kind of saw like there were very clear divergent of paths, right? Where it's like one goes this way. And I, I just kind of spent the weekend there and it was fun. But it, it was really stark contrast to what I knew lay down the path if I chose to go on a mission. You know, I think people have said that there's no wrong reason to go on a mission. I kind of just went because I didn't know what my plan was and I thought there'd be no harm in going. And it ended up being the most transformative experience of my life. Best decision I've ever made up there with marrying my wife, if she asks. <laughs> Fair enough. Or she asks, I'll tell her. Yeah, good, good, good. <laughs> well, thank you for that. That's uh, really interesting to just kind of hear people's m motivations and some of the experience that they had when they were preparing to go. So good warm up, and I just want to get into the story and hear what you have to tell us. So can we jump in? Yeah, let's do it. I've told this story before, and uh, what it was is I was a branch president, and my first Sunday in this branch, it was my it was my third out of four areas. So I was pretty far along in the mission, or at least I thought I was. Probably a year ish, or at least a year out, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, probably just a little over a year. And so I get transferred to this area where I'm the branch president, and. Uh, in Argentina, nobody in the part that I was in, I was in the small town called uh, Kurusu Cuatia, uh, which is Guarani, which is uh, the indigenous language up there. And it's it's a city of about 30,000 people, and we were the only missionaries in it. The next closest city was about an hour away by bus. It's in a province called Corrientes, which is, I kind of think of as like the Texas of Argentina. It's a okay. lot of agriculture, a lot of livestock, and... Nobody in the city really had cars. And I remember on my first Sunday, it was kind of a rainy Sunday. And this was like my chance to like meet the new branch as the as the branch president. It was me and my companion and two other people. Yeah. Really quick. What is it like getting called as the branch president? Explain that process to us where that wasn't common in other people's missions. Yeah. So I think in my mission, there were probably three areas that if you got called to, you would be the branch president. Okay. And I, everyone kind of knew which areas those were, but I didn't hear anything from the mission president. Like when, when you were getting transferred, you just yeah. show up, your name would be in a different place on the piece of paper. And next to it, it would say like, you know, LZ for zone leader or LD for district leader. And next to this one was PR for branch president, right? President okay. de Agama. So that was like all of the preparation I had. And That's there was awesome. no instructions. My mission president was really good about keeping people in their areas for a long time, just so that they could hand over kind of that, that learned knowledge. So my companion had been there for two transfers before I got there. And he did a great job of bringing me up to speed. You know, on the on the busiest Sunday I was there, we had 34 people. The average was probably about 15. But yeah, I was doing interviews. I was uh, assigning talks. It was everything that kind of goes along with being a branch president. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no problem. So uh, because I was the branch president, we did a lot of work with, with less active members. I think my mission president's general thesis was focus on new converts. But in this area, probably 200 people on the ward roster. Um, and like I said, maybe only 15 were coming. So we, we spent a lot of time visiting people who had been members and, and of the active members, the longest tenured member had maybe been a member for about nine years or so. And so my companion and I got to talking and my companion was Elder Atkinson 
from Eastern Oregon. One of the things that we loved was we were thinking about how can we show these people what it's like to be a member of this huge international church that has so much, you know, history and culture in the United States, but is kind of like a weird anomaly down here in, in Argentina. It was summertime and it was getting close to Christmas. And we had the idea that we would do like a ward Christmas party, right? You know, awesome. whereas what you and I would think of when we think of a ward Christmas party is like kids doing the nativity, like a pretty exhaustive dinner and things like that. So we took a look at the budget. This was all in like a weekly planning meeting. And in the ward budget, we had 200 pesos, which I think at the time was the equivalent of like $50. Okay. My companion, he, he was in the culinary school at UVU. Okay. Um, so we were start like, so I was really gl- gl- grateful to have that kind of information to rely on because I had no idea how to plan a party, right? I'm like 20 years old. First, we went around and started trying to kind of gauge interest. And everyone that we visited, we said, hey, if we did like a word Christmas party, we had a big barbecue, they call it Nasado down there. And it's very much a part of the culture. Would you guys be interested in coming? And like people who hadn't been to church since the day they got confirmed, we're like, yes, 100%. So we felt pretty confident we'd have about 30 people there. We started to kind of get into that whole price per pound conversation. Like what's what's going to be the most efficient way to feed this many people? And, you know, $50 isn't going to go too far. So we went and, and we kind of priced out like frozen chicken at the grocery store. And what we decided we had this family that we had like recently taught and baptized. We'd go to their house all the time and they were on the outskirts of town and they were past this in the middle kind of of this sheep pasture. One day we were walking to go visit them and we were like, well, what if we just bought a sheep, right? They're right here. They're for sale. <laughs> um, so we asked, we asked the guy who had all the sheep. We were like, how much is a sheep? And I know this is going to sound like one of those tithing stories, but it was exactly 200 pesos. And we were like, no way. It's like heaven sent. It's meant to be. Let's do it. Didn't like pick the sheep out at that point or anything. But, you know, we had a couple of weeks before we wanted to do this Christmas party. And uh, we started going around telling all the members like, hey, we're going to have a big asado for Christmas. You know, we'll have everyone's going to be there. We're going to get a sheep. I was the kind of guy that was like, I don't know. I just wanted to make myself feel cool, I guess. But I was like, I'm going to kill it. And they were like, I don't know. Elder. Like, have you ever done that before? And I was like, no, but it's just an animal. Come on. I'm going to be the one to do it. I'd never done that before. I'd never been hunting before. Like I grew up in Southern California in a beach town, but that was the plan, right? We were going to, we were going to buy a sheep and we were going to kill it and quarter it and kind of cook it up for everybody. Awesome. By the way, this sounds like such a missionary <laughs> plan that happens during Thursday. Thursday oh, we were like, all right, let's just do it. That's great. So the day, the best, the day, the best stories come from. Yes. Oh, yeah. So the day finally comes. Uh, we had invited everyone. I think we told everyone to bring like a side dish or a soda or something. And we go, they give us a sheep. It's a big sheep. I mean, the size of like a big dog. It probably weighed about 100 pounds. And so we, we gave them the money and they went put a rope around one and brought it out to us. And they were like, well, where are you guys going? And you know, this is a perfect missionary opportunity. We were like, well, our church is right over there. We're having a Christmas barbecue tonight. They didn't end up coming. They said, do you want us to drop the sheep off for you? In my mind, I'm like, no, we can walk. We walk all day. Like, what are we going to do? It's, it's going to be like walking a dog, you know, like what's our biggest concern that he stops to eat grass or something. We were like, no, we'll be fine. And I actually called my companion yesterday to ask him what he remembered about this and uh he said he remembered thinking like i've seen the 4-h kids at the fair 
And those sheep just follow them everywhere they go, right? Like this isn't going to be a big deal. You know, we also thought about like lamb to the slaughter, right? I thought that meant like they just kind of willingly go with you. Love uh, <laughs> it. I was way off, right? So we didn't even, I don't think that sheep even walked half a block before my companion is like pulling it from the front with a rope and it's kind of putting its brakes on, right? Its hooves are digging into the gravel. So I break a branch off of a tree that's right there and I start like hitting it in the butt, trying to like egg it on to move forward. Man, we probably like fought that thing for maybe two blocks before my companion just lifts it up on his shoulders. He's like, you know what? This isn't going anywhere. Let's just get it where we're going. And as we're doing this, as we're like having this debate about how we're going to get the sheep there and pushing it and about to lift it up, people are like coming out on their doorsteps and like calling their family out to come watch us from the port. I'm not kidding. There was a bus, like a public bus that stopped and like, maybe it was a bus stop. I don't know. But they were like, we were seeing like camera phones sticking out the window. Like we just felt like idiots, right? And we get to the church and to the sheep off my companion's shoulders. And he's just covered in sheep gunk that was on the underside in his nice white shirt. So that that was the first battle was getting the sheep there. And we did that in the morning because we wanted to make sure we had the sheep. And as branch president, I was in charge of the physical facilities of the church. And that meant we had like a nice little side yard that I was in charge of maintaining. And that was something that we weren't great at, especially because whenever we met somebody, I'm sure you did this as missionaries, like, even if they were like, no, we don't want to hear your message. We said, well, can we do service for you? And, and we, the first thing we'd always offer was like, we can cut your grass. But again, in Northern Argentina, it's not like people have like weed whackers or lawnmowers. The way that you would do it is with a machete and you'd go down on your haunches and you just hack away at the grass. And so we did that probably like once a week. You get like blisters and calluses. And I was like, I'm not going to do that on P-Day to take care of the church. So the, the church lawn was a little bit overgrown. But I thought we had the perfect solution in this sheep. We just like park it at the church while we went and, you know, kind of got everything ready for the party that night. And it would eat all the grass for us. We parked the sheep. I think we had lessons to teach. I think we had to do a baptismal interview. We were busy that day. But as the as the hour was approaching for the party, we go home. We change into clothes that we wouldn't mind slaughtering a sheep in. We come back and I think anyone who's ever had animals for the purpose of eating will tell you that this is probably the biggest mistake that you can make. But we kind of palled around with the sheep for like maybe half an hour. We named him Chachi. Oh, no. We put sunglasses and a necktie and a missionary badge on him and like took oh, pictures no. of him. It was like weirdly heartwarming because when we got him to the church, he was like shaking. And then after hanging out with him for a little bit, he was like comfortable with us. Oh no. After half hour of that, we were like, okay, well, we got to get ready. So we tie him up to a fence post that's in the back of the church. And my companion's like, hey, you, you kind of told everyone in the branch that you were going to be the one to kill him. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. So he, he hands me his pocket knife with the blade open and oh, no. Elder Atkinson, uh, like I mentioned, he's like, he's a rugged guy. He's from Eastern Oregon. He worked like as a lumberjack at a Christmas tree farm. He didn't have, he had a lot, significantly more experience with animals and things like this than I did. I mean, it wasn't like he was like a hunter or anything, you know, it was so, I, I think he had, he had skinned a buck before when he went hunting. And I think once that was the extent of it, but he knew enough to kind of point to where the jugular was. And he said, so you just kind of take the knife and just jab it in there and, and slide it across. So I'm holding the sheep by the wool. I've got the knife to its throat. He pointed to where the jugular was. And I like put the knife to the 
like soft fur and i was like i can't do this man <laughs> and i there was just like this like feeling of like shame but also like as i had my hand he started the sheep started started shaking again and i was like i just can't i just i'm not gonna be the guy that kills it it's chachi and, i can't chachi, do that to chachi. you know he's my boy he's my boy <laughs> <laughs> so elder atkinson just called me a nena, which is Argentine Spanish for girl, and just slit its throat. Like, <laughs> from me saying I can't do it to him doing it was probably a matter of seconds. And oh, I think there you go, I, think, <laughs> I think he knew from like the second that I told people that I was going to kill it. I think he knew that this was going to be his burden to bear. Okay. I don't want to go into a bunch of detail, but it was like bloody yeah i mean i it was it was like probably pretty quick and painless i don't know i hope so that's what i tell myself so i can sleep at night you know i i have a picture we took a bunch of pictures throughout this and uh there was just like blood splattered all over the grass oh was, no yeah it was pretty gnarly so with that being done and as i had mentioned you know elder atkinson had had skinned a deer before and in my previous area we went to like the district president's house for for lunch and he was like skinning a goat so i kind of understood what needed to happen and the first thing we did was of course got the skin off and we like hung it over the fence to dry and thought it might be a good souvenir and then we we got all the skin off we cut it open starting like kind of got a bucket that we had all the entrails fall into there was like a well like in the backyard of the church that was covered but it had like supports going up from the well so that we had something that we could hang the sheep from so it was upside down while we were kind of skinning quartering it and again elder atkinson had gone to culinary school so he knew all the good cuts he was grabbing all the good parts of the of the meat and stuff which i would have never been able to do as we we kind of finish getting all the meat sorted we have this big bucket of entrails that we started to look at and kind of started to sort through being a 20 year old who had never skinned an animal before. I was like, Oh, look at this. And it was the stomach that was just bloated because the sheep had been eating grass like all day. Oh no. And so I pop it with the pocket knife. And I mean, I don't know what I expected, but it smelled terrible. And both of us were like started gagging virtually immediately. So we were like, dude, let's just go home and shower. So we we took everything that we had in the bucket and we threw it away, like put it in a trash bag, put the trash bag out on the curb, um, went home, showered, changed, and came back to start grilling. You know, we had like a little a little Christmas program. We had some recent convert who was uh, in charge of the grilling and he was doing a good job. After we served everything up, you know, we laid everything out on the table and this guy, his name was Pedro. I mean, he had experienced pretty extreme, extreme poverty his whole life. And he came over to us and he was like, hey, elders, where's the, uh, where's the head? Oh, well, we threw it away. And like his eyes got really big and like sad. He was like, you, you threw it away? We were like, yeah, what do you want the head for? Like, we got all the good meat right here. And he was like, okay, well, what about like the liver? We we're like, no, dude, that's all in the trash. Like we almost threw up. We just threw it all away. And he, I think he asked about a couple more organs and we were like, no, it's all gone. And the look on his face was as if like, we had just like taken away all this Christmas presents. He was devastated. Oh no. And he, and because that's their favorite part. Like that's the best stuff. They love eating that. And you know, we're a couple of Americans who like, we think of a barbecue, like you go get a steak from the store and flop it on a grill like hamburgers and hot dogs. Yeah, exactly. And so Pedro like was super bummed and he started to tell everyone and uh, his eyes just got really sad. And he just said, que lastima, which means just like, what a shame. 
we couldn't laugh at it in the moment, but for the rest of our time together, anytime anything happened, Elder and Atkinson and I would just be like, oh, que lastima, just the way that Pedro said it. Yeah, so that's that's the story of Chachi the Sheep and how we threw away all the good stuff because we're going to throw up. Uh, so it was like a, a pearls before swine, but more like <laughs> en entrails before <laughs> United States missionaries. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. How many people came to the barbecue? I think we had about 25 people, which was pretty good turnout. Was it fun? It was a good time, yeah. Actually, it's funny. I'm glad I called Elder Atkinson yesterday just to ask him because he said that he has vivid memories of this one family. It was aunts and her two nieces that she cared for. And they were just having the time of their lives. Like they like took like the neck, which again was something we probably almost threw away and were just like slurping the bone marrow out. He said oh, wow. his, his memory was of the members just loving it. That is great. And it, yeah, I mean, just so different from any barbecue that I went to <laughs> when I was in North Carolina. Yeah. What they call a barbecue is different than what we call a barbecue here in Utah. But just really interesting to hear what the culture is like down there, because that you know that seems like somewhat normal, right? Like they're yeah. they're buying sheep, they're slaughtering sheep, they're cooking it up and having a great experience, you know, with friends that they bring over. Is is that kind of pretty common? Yeah, yeah, especially especially that province I was in, Corrientes. Like I was saying, it was it was kind of like the Texas, where it's it's really family oriented. Mm. Everyone is really proud of the fact that they're from that province and they're they just really love the, the unique culture and and part of that is yeah having having big old barbecues and kind of like a car guy and i remember getting down there all the cars were terrible like it was a rarity for anyone to have a car but everyone had horses like in another area we moved from apartment to apartment and a member helped us move we, like we moved in his horse drawn cart and so i remember thinking that it was funny that down there a really bad car would cost a lot of money but up here like even a really bad horse is really expensive just because it's it's a luxury yeah. item right and i think it was kind of the same thing with frozen chicken and a sheep right like you would assume that a, a whole live sheep with like what was it maybe 20 pounds of meat would have cost a lot more than that same amount of meat in frozen chicken but it's just cheaper and it's just yeah it's just funny that's how the culture is i guess yeah i mean that's great that's really fun to learn about just differences in, in culture and that you get those different experiences when you sign up to go on a mission which is a total adventure like you're talking about one more question just about that when people came to the party did they just show up to like a murder scene or had you guys <laughs> cleaned up a little bit clean the grass up and stuff like how did that um so we had we had hung i mentioned the sheep wool like the sheepskin over the back fence so that it could dry and in the time it took us to go home and shower somebody came and took it so we oh, really? were protecting our our what we didn't even know was an asset i guess so the sheep skin was gone the bones and organs we just kind of threw away and i so the only thing that was left was the blood and i, I remember actually specifically getting a i guess we didn't have a hose because i remember getting a bucket and going into the bathroom and filling it up in the sink and just kind of like washing the blood down into the dirt well there you go just you know thinking about that and some of the schemes that I came up with companions that looking back on it as a 36 year old now, I would have said were ill-advised, but it turned <laughs> out to be great, you know, like, like worked really well. The members showed up, you maybe were in over your head at some point, but you had a companion there to kind of pull you out of it and work with, you know, work together. And 
pull something off that turned out to be great and that that to me is just like a mission in a microcosm there like you're getting you're getting kind of in over your head you don't know what's going to happen when you when you get into this thing you do you go for it you take the step and then and then great things happen that's kind of how i'm how i'm framing this story up in my mind (laughs) yeah no 100 percent. yeah it's it's, i i don't know if you do this but sometimes i find myself thinking like I have so much more to offer, like from a spiritual standpoint, if I were to go on a mission today, like the way that I would interact with these people would be totally different based on obviously the experiences that have elapsed over the last 12, 13 years. But I think I'd have like half of the unmerited bravado that (laughs) made me be a successful missionary, right? Because it's like, oh, there's 20 people standing in a park. Like, let's just go contact them. You know, I, I think I'd have a really hard time doing that now. But as a 20 year old with a peer, as like my only really check in a foreign country in a language I'm not used to speaking, you know, it's, it doesn't seem as socially daunting. It seems kind of like, Hey, this is what I'm supposed to be doing is just go talk to strangers in the park. So uh, to your point, yeah, it's ill-advised, but it, it all works out because I think, I think part of it's the, maybe it's naivete, but it's also, I think part of the, part of the calling is you, you, you feel a confidence that comes from having a purpose. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's a really good segue to the to the last question I have for you. I asked this to everybody. But, uh, you know, considering that experience that you had with all the other experiences, the highs and the lows, was it worth it going on a mission? Oh, my gosh. Yes, it was. I mean, unequivocally, I I can say that I wouldn't have any of the good things that I have in my life if it, if it weren't for my decision to serve a mission. And I asked my mission president if I could stay out longer. And he said, no, elder, go home. Uh, it was a hundred percent worth it. You know, you sit around and you tell stories. I mean, I'm not saying this to to put myself up, but I think that I loved my mission more than a lot of the people I meet. If woven into every fiber of who I am, I'd absolutely worth it. Ten out of ten. Would recommend to anyone. I totally agree with you, Ryan. Thanks so much for joining the podcast and for sharing that story. That's a lot of fun. Really appreciate it. Yeah, totally. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of When I Was On My Mission. If you or someone you know has a great mission story, we would love to hear it. Please email us at contactonmymission at gmail.com or DM us on Instagram or Facebook at When I Was On My Mission. If you like this podcast, please tell a friend, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating in your podcast app.